Good morning to everybody in the room. I want to say good morning to those of you watching online uh, at the microsites and a special good morning to you at our Southeast Church. Let's all give them a round of applause. Glad you guys are joining us today. As Lee said, today we're wrapping up kind of our pre-Christmas series. It is well. We're looking at the serenity prayer. Two weeks ago, uh, Lee began with this idea of God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. And then uh, last week, Shane came back with, and the courage to change the things I can. And today we're going to wrap it up with, and, and tie it up together with, and the wisdom to know the difference. Because isn't that, isn't that the key? That we need the wisdom to know when do, I, when do I rush in, when do I hold back. Especially this time of year, we need wisdom probably more than any other. There's just so many things going on this time of year. I know a lot of times with the, with the parties and gathering together and meals and, and family events that oftentimes you may find yourself sitting across from somebody you've got a beef with. Maybe somebody there's some bad blood in, with a relative or friend and, and God, I need the wisdom to know how to navigate this. Or what about the financial situation you know, that, that this season brings is you've got all these financial expectations, you know, parties and gifts and, and food, and then you've got just the reality of your financial situation. And what you don't want is to have that mid-January financial hangover where you open up the January credit card statement and go, man, what did I do? And so we need wisdom to navigate these times. And since it's Christmas time, who better to look at than the wise men? That's their name. They must know what they're doing. And so we're going to take a look at the wise men today. And so who were these guys exactly? Well, the Bible refers to them as magi, but tradition refers to them as wise men. They were skilled in philosophy, medicine, math, and natural science. So they had all these skills that they studied, and their primary job was to advise the king. That's why you call them wise men. They're part of, part of his court. Now, when it comes to the Christmas story, I think there's a lot of misconceptions around who these guys were and the roles they played. And so, because I want us all to arrive at the same place on the same page here, we are going to have a wise man quiz. That's right. There's going to be a test at church this morning, kids. And so here's what's going to happen. For those of you that are thinking, yes, test, bonus, there's points awarded to each right answer. And for those of you who are horribly competitive, yes, you will be ranked at the end. So we're about to go for a ride here. Let's start with the first question. According to the Bible, how many wise men were there? More than one, three, a baker's dozen. Who says more than one? couple of you, all right. Who says three? Bunch of you. Who says a baker's dozen? Nobody for a baker's dozen. All right. Oh, there's one in the back. Awesome. All right. Thank you for that. All right. The correct answer is more than one. That that's all we really know. The Bible doesn't say wise man. It says wise men. And then there's no number attached. That, you know, traditionally we think there's three because there's three gifts. But we really don't know. In fact, they would have made such a, such a long journey that they probably would have traveled in a much larger group, perhaps a baker's dozen, but it may have been more. So let's go. If you've got that one right, you got five points. Next one. According to the Bible, where did the wise men find the baby Jesus? In a manger, in a house, in a Chick-fil-A. These are tough questions. All right, who says in a manger? Awesome. Who says in a house? few of you. Who says in a Chick-fil-A? Thank you, sir. It's Jesus' chicken. Yes. 
But actually, the correct answer would have been in a house. The Bible literally says the wise men came to the house. That they were not there at the birth of Jesus in the manger. And in fact, if you have a nativity scene at home and you have the little wise men in there, you are living a lie. You need to take those bad boys and move them to a completely different part of the house, whatever the equivalent to about 1,400 miles their size would be. All right, next question. How old was Jesus when the wise men visited him? Eight days old, between 40 days and two years, old enough to drive. All right, eight days old, couple, 40 days and two years. It's a much better chance. It's a much longer span of time. <laughs> old enough to drive. All right, we got one. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right, correct answer is between 40 days and two years. Always the longest answer. Always go with the longest answer. 40 days and two years, and here's how we get there. When we compare Jesus' biographies, the Gospels, and the Christmas story specifically, what we know is that the Magi, the wise men, would have arrived after Jesus was dedicated at the temple. That happened typically at about 40 days. So they arrived sometime after that, but also based on some actions that Herod takes, um, he would have been two years of age and younger. So sometime between four days and two years. So you've got five points for each right answer. But because some of you take a while to catch on, there's final bonus question for ten points so you can score at least. All right, here we go. Final one. What modern-day country were the wise men most likely from? Iran, South Africa, Ireland. All right, who says Iran? Good. South Africa? Nice. Ireland. Fair enough. Okay, so the correct answer is Iran, that they would have come from the Middle East, from the, what would have been uh, previous to that would have been the Persian Babylonian Empire that ultimately is roughly where modern-day Iran is. And so here's what I want you to do. Go ahead and tally up your score. You got five for the first three, ten for the bonus one, and see how you ranked here. Uh, if you rank 20 to 25, you're an honorary wise man, wise woman. Give yourself a round of applause. Some of you, good. Uh, 10 to 15 points, you're a wise meh. <laughs> and finally, 0 to 5 points. If wise men knowledge were iron, you'd be anemic. <laughs> so, well done. Thank you for playing our game. <laughs> if you did not score really, really well on this, it's okay. There's a lot of mystery surrounding these guys and a lot of misconceptions, like I said. But I believe that if we consider the historical account of their involvement in the Christmas story, that we will see that they navigated difficult situations with enough wisdom to earn their names. And even more so that perhaps as we look at their actions, that we will be able to glean some wisdom of our own. And so we're going to take a look at the Christmas story here. It's in, it's in the biography of Jesus, what we call the, uh, the Gospel of Matthew, starting in chapter 2. And it begins this way. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi, wise men from the east, came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So like I said, these guys traveled about 1,400 miles from Babylonian, uh, Babylon, Persia area all the way to Jerusalem. Why would they do that? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, here were these foreigners, these, these pagans essentially. Why would they travel to visit a whole foreign king? Well, I think it has something to do with a slave by the name of Daniel. 
He was a Jewish slave about 600 years previous. And he was taken into captivity, taken to Babylon. And because he was a sharp cat, he rose in rank in the king's court and ultimately rose to such a position that he was the leader of all the wise men. And in fact, at one point, the king was going to kill all the wise men because they, they, they couldn't do what he wanted them to do. But, but Daniel steps in and saves them all. And so Daniel would have absolutely been in the wise man hall of fame. That he would have been revered and he would have made a huge impact in that country. And it makes sense too that these, these, these scholarly men that they would have absolutely studied the ancient documents of Daniel's people, what we call the Old Testament. And so they would have gleaned, poured through them and they would have studied them. And then when they saw that star, it caught their attention. They interpreted it as a personal invitation from the God of Daniel. And so they took this journey, 1,400 miles, and they arrived at the city of Jerusalem. But when they arrived, here's what happened. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. King Herod was the king of that, of that province and he was disturbed. But why was everyone disturbed as well? Well, you need to know a little bit of something about this king. Is that King Herod was, was a wise and effective ruler. That he got things done. If you, if you look at, historically look at him, he was a statesman, politician. He made things happen. However, he was also a distrustful, jealous, and brutal tyrant who ruthlessly crushed any potential opposition. So much so that he murdered six members of his very own family, including three of his own sons, because he, were, he was afraid they would try to overthrow him. It was so bad that as he neared his death, he was afraid that the people would celebrate the day he died. So he put out a command that on the day he died, he ordered the execution of all the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem so that on the day he died, he could guarantee there would be mourning. So you can imagine what it was like living under this king. So yes, when Herod was disturbed, the whole city was disturbed. And so here's what happens next. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. So when he hears these guys are in the city, he reaches out to the local Jewish officials, those Jewish scholars... And he says, you know, you guys know your history better than anybody. Where's this king to be born? And so they tell him because they know the same thing the wise men know. Yet strangely enough, you don't get any sense of urgency or action from these guys. That we don't hear from them again. And it is their king that is being born, but they don't seem super impressed or changed. And here's where I think we learn a valuable lesson about wisdom. That knowledge is not the same as wisdom, that you can be smart and not be wise. That in fact, wisdom is when you take your knowledge and you apply it effectively to your life. The Bible, in, in the word wisdom in Bible in the Bible, literally means the same as the word for skill. That wisdom is in fact a life skill, a way that you apply it to your life to successfully navigate 
a confusing and difficult world. And so back to Herod. It says, then the next thing Herod did was he called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him, which is a complete lie. That in fact, what he was trying to figure out was where the baby was and how old the baby was so he could destroy the baby. And ultimately, when the wise men didn't come back and report in, that's when he put out another edict to murder all boys two years of age and younger because he was going to make sure that he would not have any competition from the king of the Jews. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. See, I think this, that watching the, the action of the wise men is so important because as we reflect on their journey to Jesus, we see two different types of wisdom displayed here. One rooted in the abilities and desires of a person and the other rooted in something beyond them. See, Herod's wisdom was clearly, clearly rooted in himself. He was a mover and he was a shaker and he ascended to a high position of authority, of power. He became king using his cunning his intellect, and his power to accomplish his goals for his life. And his reliance on personal wisdom led him to much personal success. But it did not end well for him. That history tells us that in fact he died miserable and alone and he suffered a long and painful death. Now compare that to the wisdom the wise men demonstrated. Their wisdom was rooted in establishing something beyond themselves, something, something more eternal. That they ultimately applied the knowledge God provided in their circumstances to follow God's direction. And in pursuing a wisdom beyond themselves, an eternal wisdom, they achieved a different kind of success than King Herod. No, they didn't become personal successes like kings. But they did go on an epic quest, outsmart a cruel tyrant, and ultimately land before and gaze upon the face of God. When you think about those two different types of wisdom, which one do you want to rule your life? Because it seems like a no-brainer, doesn't it? I think rather than the painful, miserable, death, lonely one, I think I want the face of God wisdom, right? But when we are faced with a difficult decision, which wisdom do you pursue? Do you seek eternal wisdom beyond you? Or do you rely on personal wisdom within you, like King Herod? If I'm honest with myself, I have to admit that my first instinct is to rely on personal wisdom, to skillfully apply my knowledge to achieving my goals. 
And do you know what the scary part about that is? Do you know who has been involved in every single bad decision I have ever made? Me, absolutely. That I have conspired with myself over every stupid decision I have ever made. And, it, and it's confounding me because I'm a smart guy. And th but, but this may shock and, and amaze many of you, but I'm not always as smart as I think I am. I mean, I, when, I, when I grew up, um, I had a single mom, and, and so you know, I had to help out with household chores and stuff. And, and one of the tricks she taught me was to always take when you're cleaning, that you want, you want to smell fresh too. So always when you're done cleaning, put, take a little pine saw and pour it like in the, in the, this is before essential oils. Take a little pine saw and pour it like in the toilet or the sink or just put a cup of it up on top of the fridge because it makes the room smell good, right? And so I, I applied that and so I learned that as I began my own family, got married, had kids that had my very own home of my own. And it occurred to me one time that, man, if a little bit of pine saw makes a room smell fresh, I bet a bunch of pine saw in my swamp cooler would make my whole house smell pine fresh. So I did it. So I went up on the roof to where our swamp cooler was, which circulated all of our air, and I took it in a big bottle, and I dumped a big old bottle of pine salt in the swamp cooler and went down and proudly flipped the switch on. Um, I don't know if you know this or not, but in large quantities, apparently pine salt's toxic. Yeah. So no lie, like after a while, like my, my kids started complaining and my wife's like, I've got this headache and what's that smell? Literally, we had to get out of the house and evacuate for like four hours to air the thing out. Sometimes I'm not as smart as I think I am. Not only that, but here's the other thing about me. I would not allow anyone else to lie to me near as much as I allow myself to lie to me. How about you? Now here's what I know about myself. That I am capable of talking myself into almost anything, especially when I'm focused on meeting my needs or avoiding my fears. How about you? I mean, isn't that the wisdom that drove Herod? Meeting his needs, avoiding his fears, telling himself whatever he needed to. See, personal wisdom is inherently flawed because it relies on my personal perspective and limited knowledge. Did you know that psychologists have identified almost 200 psychological biases that influence the, our decision making? A psychological bias is a way that we lie to ourselves a way that we construct a false reality in making a decision. Let me give you an example. One of the, one of the, the most common is called confirmation bias. And in confirmation bias, it looks something like this. You'll be having a debate with somebody about an issue or whatever, and then finally you go, you know what? You know, I'm an open-minded person. I'm willing to learn. I'm going to go and do the research and, and come, to a, come to an informed decision. And so, of course, you go to Google because that's where we go for all informed decisions. And, and you type in the topic and you, you read the first couple of links and, and they kind of support your buddy's position. And you read a couple more and they're still kind of agreeing with your buddy. And you come to the seventh or eighth one and it agrees with you. And you go, see, I knew I was right all along. <laughs> Confirmation bias. We do this all the time. This is the thing where we seek out an opinion that, that affirms what we already believe to be true. That is not wisdom. Not only that, there's another one 
called short-term bias. And these are, these are legitimate things. Look them up. Short-term bias is we tend to lean towards looking at our current circumstances and situations and making decisions more than the future, more than, more than above and beyond. And frankly, as I was reading about this, it occurs to me, I think this is one of the, t- one of the reasons that depression and suicide are so escalated this time of year. Because with all this, you know, all the family stuff and the, and the, and the pressure and the stress and then, of course, the, the whole joyful commercials and, and all that, there, you, you can feel the weight and it can really begin to wear on you. But even more so this year, what you might do is come to the point where, where you do the short-term bias and you literally just begin to say to yourself, it's never going to change. It's always going to be like this. No wisdom can come from that place. But eternal wisdom doesn't carry these biases. It is rooted in the wisdom of God. So let's talk about how we can become the kind of people that access this kind of wisdom. The wisdom that can actually affect our lives better. It starts this way. By starting with an eternal perspective. That when you're faced with a decision, in a moment where you need wisdom, start with an eternal perspective. And this is where most of us get it wrong. That we start with a personal perspective. Normally we seek wisdom because I want to be happy. I want things to go well with me. So I need to know the right things so that things work, go well with me. But what if eternal wisdom, the kind of wisdom that God is offering us, what if it isn't about us? What if he actually wants to provide wisdom to us for the sake of others? Have you ever thought about it that way before? As I was preparing for this, I, I, I remembered Solomon. And, he, and Solomon was an, was an ancient king who loved God. And he loved God so much that God came to him and said, tell me what you want. I will give you anything you ask for. Well, Solomon asked for wisdom, but not for himself. Listen to what he says. Give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. See, Solomon pursued a wisdom not for himself, but that he could lead others well, that he could make others' life better, that he could have the wisdom to to help speak into others' lives and make them better. And because it wasn't about him, not only did God give him the wisdom he asked for, but he gave him so much more. What if God wants to do the same for us? If we would only begin to pursue an eternal perspective, a bigger picture perspective, God's perspective in wisdom. And here's what it looks like, practically speaking, as you're sitting across a dinner table or in a living room with somebody, again, you got, maybe there's some bad blood there. Personal wisdom is you're thinking to yourself, how do I get out of this? How do I confront them? How do I, whatever, right? But what if you stood back And said, how is God viewing this situation right now? As I am across the table from this person, what does God want me to do? Not just for my sake, but for the sake of this other. You know, as God looks at me and says, man, one of these I know for sure loves me and and, 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 and follows me. I would love if somehow that person would reach out to this person. And right away, as you're thinking about it, some of you are even picturing that, who that person is, and you're saying no. 
can't forgive them. I can't reach out to them. They're unreasonable. They're crazy. They hurt me. They whatever. But here's the beauty part. That when you extend beyond your own, when you look above and beyond your own circumstances, when you begin to get God's perspective, our hope and our ability is no longer confined to what we can make happen. That when you pursue the purposes of God, we access the resources of God. So in that moment, you can reach out to him and he can help you want to forgive. He can help you know the words to say. He can, he can break through that person's hard heart and let you in. It's not up to you anymore. The second thing we need to do is this, is by spending time with Jesus in his word. Listen to what Paul says about Jesus. That in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That in Jesus, not just that, we, that Jesus, Jesus does and says wise things, but that in him are hidden the treasures. How do you find hidden treasures? Man, you spend some time digging. And so when I say spend time with Jesus in his word, I'm talking about more than just memorizing a passage or a verse or, you know, verse of the day or whatever, flipping through and picking a, picking a button. I'm talking about actually spending time with Jesus and reflecting on Jesus' story in the Gospels, in his biographies. Imagine just putting yourself in the stories that as he's walking along the beach, imagine you're walking with him. What's he saying? What's he teaching? What does it mean to those around me? See, here's the thing. If you want to access the wisdom of Jesus, you must be an apprentice of Jesus, not just a fan. And the way you become an apprentice is by sitting with him, spending time with him, and learning from him. And then the final thing we can do is by walking with other Jesus people. Listen to what the ancient wisdom book of Proverbs says. For by wise guidance you can wage your war, and in abundance of counselors there is victory. They're telling us something that we already know, that, that when we've got a tough decision to make or a challenge, you know, if we surround ourselves with other people, people who are wise, who, who, who love us and who love God, they can help point us in the right direction. Again, it's about getting outside of our own perspective. They can help, and I know this from personal experience. That a few years back, I was faced with the hardest decision that I've ever had to make for my family. There was relational consequences, financial consequences, health consequences, all these things. And, and, I, and I had a decision to make and I was just stuck. And I'm not used to being at that place. That's not a place I operate well. But I had some two other guys that had been walking with me for years that I know loved me and loved Jesus and so I went to them and I did something that I have never, ever done in my life before. And I said, I don't know what to do. You guys tell me what to do and I will do it. So they prayed about it and they met about it and they talked to me. And, and they ultimately arrived at a, at a direction and they said, do this. And so I did. And I can tell you right now that that was one of the best decisions I have ever made. That you need to have a, a wisdom council around you. You need to have people who love God and love you speaking into these decisions that you need to make. And here's the thing I know about a wisdom council. You don't need it until you need it. And so if you don't need it right now, start investing 
Make sure you are surrounding yourself with people who know and love you and know and love God. And if you don't know how to do that, Lee talked about rooted. Get connected and rooted. That will fast track you. That will get you around other like-minded people. Join a small group. For many of you, maybe you need to check out CR on Monday nights. Our Celebrate Recovery environment you know, isn't just about drug and alcohol addiction. It's about people with hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Anybody got one of those? If you were to start to walk with them, man, you're, you're walking with people who want the same thing you want, to be freed from some of this garbage that's holding them back. See, here's the thing, here's the point of all this, is there's a pattern here that the wisdom you need has to come from beyond your limited perspective. That eternal wisdom means forsaking the throne of Herod, which is the throne of self, and instead chasing the face of God to the destination he has for you. And I know that there are some of you in this room who don't even know if they believe in Jesus or what that's all about. Let me just say this, first of all, to you. Man, we are so glad that you're here. You are welcome. You are part of this community. But I would encourage you to do the same thing, take the same journey these wise men took on, on their trip to Jesus. That it began by looking beyond themselves. And I would encourage you, wherever you're at today, look beyond yourselves and consider that maybe the world isn't the way you think it is. Maybe there's more wonder. Maybe there's more mystery. Maybe there's more complexity. And perhaps there is a God at the helm of it all who loves you and wants to know you. And secondly, draw nearer to Jesus. Seek him out. You know, we've already started reading the book of Matthew. You might as well finish it. Just keep going and, and, and get to know Jesus through, through his biography and, and really see about this person and, and, and what he was and, and who he is to you and who he wants to be. And then finally, in the same way that, that the wise men traveled in packs, do the same thing. We've got, an, we've got an environment here called Alpha. You can find out about it on the uh, 411 on the app. But Alpha here is just people who are trying to figure Jesus out, who are searching but together, they're seekers together. Maybe surround yourself with people like that. But here's the thing that we need to all remember. That ultimately at the core, the wise men are a picture of God's grace. That here were these people who were not God's people. But because they searched for him, because they did the hard work of drawing near to him and finding him, he allowed himself to be found by them. And I believe he wants to do the same for all of us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the example that you have laid out in history and in the pages of your word that we may know, that we may grow. God, I believe just beyond all the hoopla, God, I really do believe that we want that wisdom, that eternal wisdom. As much as we want to be successful and popular and loved and liked and all that, at the end of the day, we are here because we think you have something more to offer than we have to offer ourselves. God, just please remind us, keep reminding us of that. Help us to grow in that and continue to provide those people around us that can encourage us in that direction. God, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.